so on my uh, on my YouTube, yeah. So this is gonna be uh, people are tuning in right now. This is our first time on YouTube. It's on my personal YouTube channel. Uh, I'm checking it out because I just purchased like the next level up. So we were on the free subscription, and I just went with the twenty dollar a month subscription to check it out because I might use it for Bible study. And Bible study uh, for my church tomorrow would be cool to have it like on Facebook Live plus our YouTube channel because not everybody is on. Uh, is on Facebook because some people, you know, have a life. No offense to those who are on Facebook. Actually, actually, total offense. No offense was meant. <laughs> <laughs> and I and that's coming from someone who is on Facebook. So Wes, good to see you, man. Um, dude. So why why is your name today, Team Jacob? You know, I'm already regretting that decision. I sort of made it in a spurt of uh, uh, poor judgment. How, how much effort do you put into uh, your name choice? Each uh, honest, honestly, what happens is I get on, and then I see I have to type in my name, and I panic. And then that <laughs> comes to mind is what I do. So if you don't know the reference, I'm actually not going to tell you for the sake of my own dignity. I, I know. I think I know the reference. Oh, okay. Who do you, what, what do you think I'm referring to? Twilight. Yeah, yeah. You nerd, man. You are such a nerd. So you read all the – are you talking about the books or the movies? Which which one? No, I've not read the books, no. Okay. Can I, can I confess something? Please. I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy that I picked the book. Can I tell you why? I have a good reason why. So oh, okay. Was, yeah, now, now I got to hear this. So when they were big, like I would say, what was that in the right before 2010, like 08, 09, 10, when the movies were starting to come out. So I was deployed during that time. And uh, this is before Rob and I were married. We got married in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'm distracted by my dog yelping yeah. in the background. Why don't scream in my kitchen, bro? <laughs> Sorry, man. So, uh, so, uh, um, so yeah, uh, we were deployed, and at that time, like, we get all these free books and all this other stuff. And the only thing I could pick up from like the little library that we had was Twilight. So I read, what is it? three of them i think there's three books and i read them um they weren't the most edifying piece of literature but uh it it, you know so important question team edward or team jacob what's that are you team edward or team jacob uh i say light the entire thing on fire because it's such trash that that's that is a cop-out i don't accept that as an answer well, you can you can say whatever you want. Now I did make a mistake. My name my name my name coming in was supposed to be Bobby Ropes, not Bobby Robes. I miss uh, you know I fat figured that one on there to make fun of you from last week. So like I, I have, I thought you were making like a high church reference. <laughs> I'm going full Anglican now. <laughs> yeah, Bruce so, will be proud. So I I uh, people had reached out to me over the weekend. And had some questions that they actually wanted me to ask you that I didn't even prepare you for before it came on air. So I have three questions for you. All right. Okay. I'm going to ask them in quick succession. 
and um, and, and I just want you to answer them right off the bat, okay? All so right. I'm going to give you the three questions, and then you're going to answer them after the three questions. I got you ready? It. Okay. Okay. Why did you choose the name Bobby Ropes as your b-boy name? Mm-hmm. When is the last time you have actually b-boyed or breakdanced? And then three, when was it that your parents realized that you would be a disappointment for your entire life? <laughs> okay. uh, uh, I picked that as my b-boy name because uh, it was my dad's uh, nickname in college, and I thought it was clever. Uh, the last time I b-boyed was so probably sometime last year when I blew out my knee and realized that was a bad idea. Um, I, I think my parents knew I would be a disappointment for the rest of my life when uh, there's so many moments I could choose. When you uh, said you were going to go into the ministry and your brother said he was going to become a doctor? No, no. I, <laughs> no they were, my parents were thrilled when I made that because they, they had known for years that I was supposed to. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I know I, I, I will have the conversation someday about how you feel about prophecy, but uh, my my mo- my mother knew that I would be doing this 25 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, you have to tell me you asked the third question. Dude, I'm just kidding. no one asked any of these questions. I made this all up. I mean, this was a scenario that I made up. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the third question sounded like an Eric. Question. All three questions were ones that, in fact, after last week's episode, have been burning over the weekend. Um, I've been waiting until this moment. I, I've been unable to sleep. So I'll tell you the last time I b-boyed in public was at my brother's wedding three years ago. And you haven't seen him since. <laughs> I think only one. <laughs> one the Christmas cards that you get from your brother don't have his wife's co-sign. So like, you know how, uh, at least when I get Christmas cards and when we send them out, Robin usually does all that. And everybody else, like um, they'll say, they'll say, Oh, it's from, uh, Robin and Eric or Eric and Robin. And it's always in the wife's handwriting. <laughs> You're just from like, <laughs> your brother's probably chicken scratch because he's a doctor and it doesn't include anything <laughs> because of what you did at their wedding. <laughs> Wes, have no fear. We'll get into that one of these days. There's lots of, lots of stuff still for us to discuss. Um, not today though. All right. So are you going to answer team Edward or team Jacob or am I just going to have to move on? I already did answer. I, I reject the premise of your question. I re- I look. I accept that the movies are a, a, a heap of burning garbage too. But I could still pick which one I liked better. I didn't like either of them. I hated them all equally. You know who I am? You know, I'm pro killing Bell. Uh, that was her name, right? Like she was a terrible character. She was confused all the time, whether it was in the book or in the movies. Um, She's out making out with werewolves and vampires. <laughs> Girl, get yourself out of that scenario. You know, so like, you're, you're, the famous book that says, "Girl, put on some makeup," or "Girl, wash your face," whatever heresy that is. Um, dude, girl, get out of Washington State. Like, so, who wants to live there in the first place? So you're on the team of whichever villain in each book wanted to to take her out. Okay, I, I can. Oh yeah, I, yeah, the I bad guy vampires definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'm team bad guy vampires. I'm I'm down. I'm down with that. All right, now I have some questions for Eric. Uh, okay. he, uh, we're gonna. We always like to start with something a little bit light and fluffy, 
And I wanted to start today with one of my favorite games. Um, and you can do, we'll do this with any number of theological figures from. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Josh's comment. Poor Luke, you're playing. Would you rather with the guy? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thank you. See, I'm, I'm so glad Josh is here because he knows my pain. He understands yeah. the suffering I endure every time I get onto one of these. By the way, we talk about so we talk about the nicest people and our favorite people in the, the denomination. Josh, no lot, and I feel like I say this about everybody, but I guess only the nice people and the people that I like watch the show. He's really nice, man. He's a super nice guy. No, he's really nice and also um, very truthful when it comes to you. So I very, very pointed. I appreciate uh, that. Okay, so today we're playing uh, Witch Calvin. So I'm going to read, Eric, six quotes from either Calvin Coolidge or John Calvin. And okay. there, there's actually something on the line. Some on the line. Yep. Yep. If Eric, Eric, can, Eric can miss up to three. So 50% is passing. If he misses four or more, if he gets four or more wrong, I get to host on Thursday. Oh, we yeah. didn't go over what happens if what if I get all of them. Uh, right? That's that's correct. We didn't, and it's too late to institute that. I made sure not to bring it up. Did you use Institute for a specific reason? Uh, maybe. No. Okay. My, my point is that I'm more clever than you, and I made sure that this was only a one-sided bet. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You yeah. are better at tricking people. <clears throat> okay. Um, you're the less of. You're the least honest of the two of us. Okay. Um. Quote number one, the torture of a bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. The torture of a bad con conscience is the hell of a living soul. Calvin Coolidge. That was John Calvin. That's one down. Golly, man. Really? All right. Okay. All right. There's one wrong. Question number two, or quote number two. Don't expect to build up the weak by pulling down the strong. John Calvin. That was Calvin Coolidge. Golly, man. I, I, see, I'm, I'm tricking myself out of this thing because I'm thinking like, oh, you're trying to like pull something spiritual from Calvin Coolidge and then something like uh, um, more civil oriented from John Calvin. See, this, is, this is the fun of the game, and this is why this is why you're this is why you're a terrible person to play. Would you rather with, but the perfect person to play this game with, because you are going to think your way into the wrong answer in every single one of these. Because be my gut instinct on each one is the exact opposite of what I said. <laughs> <laughs> if I my gut instinct, I'd be hundred percent correct right now. Oh, look at look at look at McGee up in the stakes. I think Eric should have to wear a Jacob Arminius T-shirt and preach his next sermon wearing it. Uh, I I would love I would love for you to preach a sermon on Romans nine while wearing a Jacob Arminius T-shirt. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Okay, all right. Hey, you've you've only you can still miss one more. You're doing okay. You've only if I get if I get zero correct, I think I have to like I have to trade in my Calvinist card. <laughs> uh, I would love to see that card someday. Uh, if we. I, there are so many jokes I could make, but I need to move on. Okay, next Calvin quote. If we judge ourselves only by our aspirations and everyone else only by their conduct, we shall soon reach a very false conclusion. Calvin Coolidge. Very good. Okay. I don't, 
I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> One for three. Hey, baseball, that's pretty good. No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. What can you um, tell me in context whether what the he is referring to? No. You can't tell me in context as to what the he that doesn't no. make any sense. If I saw the quote in context by what he who's the he referring to? Is the he referring to the person who's earned it? And who's the person that's earned it? I'm so happy. Very well be like be him, be be uh, you know, John Calvin saying, Hey, you receive on according to what he has earned, referring to Jesus, which very well could be like in the sentence right before this one. You gotta pick one, dude. This game's stupid. You're stupid. Everything is stupid. Um say the quote again, please. No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. Calvin Coolidge. Okay, very good. Okay. Two and two. Up. Let's go. Let's go. Without the fear of God, men do not even observe justice and charity among themselves. John Calvin. Good. Okay. Well, you're Green safe. What you're, you're, you're safe. There's one more, but you're already safe. You will host on Thursday. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Final quote. If you don't say anything, you won't be called on to repeat it. Calvin Coolidge. Okay. See, you get you there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this victory would be a whole lot sweeter if you had bothered to negotiate for yourself. Oh, is this is this all this? What did you win? I won this. What? He tried to outsmart me, thinking that he knows more about John Calvin than I do. What? A <laughs> Jack Jackson. Hi. Do you want to know what your dad actually won? <laughs> he, he, he won. He won. He won nothing. He won nothing because he didn't bother to negotiate. I won satisfaction. <laughs> he didn't bother oh, to negotiate any terms for winning. <laughs> oh man, I was down 0-2. Oh, two. Oh, two. I feel like I feel like the Boston Red Sox in 2003, man. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm happy for you, Eric. I'm happy for you. That was kind of stressful, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, I'm super excited to play Witch Luther with you. That's going to be real fun. <laughs> what, Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr.? There you go, man. How about I come up with that, and I'll give it to you on Thursday? Okay. I'm down. Yeah. yeah. I'm down. We'll do that. Which I'll, Luther... I'll even commit to not doing any research. I won't, I won't go review those quotes. I better not do any research. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, man, Eric, Eric's still recovering from his uh, uh victory dance. That's that's the most dancing. Sorry, man, I guess I'm thinking 04. <laughs> Thanks for correct. <laughs> they lost it on three. <laughs> Yo, Matt, you, Matt is are Matt and Josh related? Uh, yeah, okay, are. yeah, the they, they are they are the co MVPs of this chat. 
and I would just like to point out, Josh is much nicer than John Wesley. Or Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I like that one. Maybe I'll go with that. We'll find out. We'll show oh, up. Show tune in on Thursday, two p.m. And it's either going to be <laughs> which Wesley or which Luther. <laughs> yeah, cool. I look forward to that. <laughs> okay. Um, I shake it out because uh, we're we're going to do something today that. I'm uh, I'm real excited to do. I I think it'll be really edifying. It's going to be a little different than anything we've done before because we love to talk theology. We love to talk ecclesiology. Um, but today, it's same with Sorry, the wife just got home and it was hard to find them. <laughs> So I was pretty excited. A lot, a lot of victories for you today. We're just winning all day today. This is a good day today. Um, today, Eric and I are actually going to share a little bit about our upbringings, and this is this is going to be an interesting conversation because Eric and I have had such different upbringings. I was raised uh, in the church in a Christian home by a pastor. Heard the gospel early and often. Uh, Eric, I'm sure, is thankful for his parents in many ways, but was raised very differently. And so we're going to discuss that. We're going to talk about, uh, and, and as in all things that we talk about, we want uh, God and his glory to be at the center of it. And so we're ultimately going to talk about the ways that God used our upbringing to accomplish his purposes. But let's start just by sort of giving an introduction, because we, we shouldn't assume that everyone here knows us or, or knows our backgrounds. So, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about the home in which you grew up? Yeah, so... Um... You know, this might be a little bit challenging, you know, for uh, those listening and, and watching. You know, my mom recently passed away, so I was a bit hesitant to talk about some of these things. Um, but I'm going to, you know, <clears throat> try to uh, show honor towards my parents and, and love for them in the midst of our conversation. But like all parents, um, we're all deeply flawed. Uh, we're all in need of God's grace. And I try to show that towards my parents even now, knowing that my, my upbringing was quite different. So I was raised in a non-christian home it was just uh the, there was an absence of faith there was no atheism like uh uh what do you call it like the angry atheists or anything like that it was just an absence and what your typical new england kind of all paths lead to heaven just do more good than you do bad and you'll be okay um those types of morals but i also grew up at home where there um, my parents divorced when i was i think four or five my sister would know I forget. Um, and my dad moved out of the house and he kind of bounced around every couple of years to different like apartments and houses uh, in our area. My mom kept the house um, and uh, she ended up going on like a welfare for a little bit. And, you know, so that she because she went from being a stay at home mom to now having to go fend for herself. And now she has a, a house and a mortgage and all that to pay. So she had to go and really worked her tail off, man, for uh, probably, man, over 20 years. You know, she worked she worked her butt off to get in with a company that treated her really well. And she she did right by them. And um, it was just church, God, um, Jesus. I mean, it was just absent in our home. So uh, on Sundays, I mean, Sunday was no more different than a Saturday to us. And mm -hmm. that was kind of my life. And <clears throat> then I had the privilege of when I... Uh, got out of the army after having been in the faith for a number of years uh, to go back and serve in my hometown in really the single uh, gospel witness in our community. 
So that was a real privilege in Oak Hill Bible Church. So uh, regardless, you know, that was my last church as a, the associate pastor and youth pastor there for a little bit. And um, I always have a special place in my heart because that's that's my hometown. And I want to see the gospel just take root and take hold and, and see, as your dad would say, a mass revival of people coming to faith and, um, in that church and in that community. Now, did you grow up in Oxford pretty much your whole life? My whole life. Okay. The okay. house that my mom that my mom had, and she actually passed away in a couple of weeks ago. I think we moved in when I was six months old. So, and I lived there until I I left for the army in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. So, um, just under nineteen years. So probably about eighteen, eighteen and a half years. So, so as I share about um, my childhood upbringing, there will be a, a connection here to Oxford because I lived there from the age of. My sister has corrected me. I was one. Thanks, Tammy. Ah, okay. I didn't remember. <laughs> but it's fascinating too to hear that um, she attended church every Sunday until the divorce took place. You know the the difference in um, that difference when when your parents split. So yeah, if we had gone to church, it was. I mean, I I, I think I was four. You know, yeah. I, my sister would probably have a better idea because my childhood. My sister and I have talked a little bit about this. I don't have a good recollection of things. My my memory and. It could be from some some poor things that some bad things that happened in my childhood. That it could be just that I'm, for my mind is protecting itself. I don't know, or I just could be an idiot. Or or it could be that that your brain's too full of Calvin Coolidge quotes to have room for anything else. Probably that actually. You are a big Calvin fan, and you talk about him all the time. Uh, so I I was raised um, very differently by the grace of God, and of course, uh, as Eric said, I'm sure he's thankful for his parents and honors them. Um, I'm thankful for and honor mine and my parents weren't perfect either. And we may discuss some of those things, uh, and obviously in respectful ways in the, in, in the next few minutes. But, um, I want to focus at first just on the privilege that I had of, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised, uh, by two parents who, uh, spoke to me about Jesus and the gospel early and often. And I was raised, uh, by parents who had great reverence for the scriptures and taught them to me. Uh, I spent a few years living in Oxford, so there's a connection there with Eric. Uh, but also, one thing about my upbringing that was a little different than his is that we moved a lot. By the time that I graduated high school, um, we had been in five or six different churches, uh, four different states, ten different houses or homes. Uh, and 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 all of that was following Dad, uh, who now has uh, been in some some much longer ministries. He was at Hickory Grove 13 years, uh, which was which was the longest day he'd ever had anywhere. Uh, but before that, you know, a lot of short um, ministries, uh, a, a lot of getting up and moving oftentimes across the country. And so I, I've lived in a lot of different places. It's interesting. Uh, Eric talks about Oxford as home. I don't really have a physical place that I think of as home. Uh, for me, home is family because those were the people who are always there wherever we went. So, yeah, a, a great privilege of growing up in a Christian home, a home that honored Christ and the gospel and that taught the scriptures, uh, but also a home that in some ways was uh, very different than other people's homes and that my home was a different place every few years. Mm-hmm. 
So um, we'll we'll sort of come back to upbringing, I think, as the discussion goes on. But for now, I think it would be helpful, at least for understanding your story, for you to give a, a short version of how you came to the faith. Because for me, that's a real easy, simple story. I grew up in the church. I grew up with parents who were who told me about Jesus. And so um, I'll share a little bit later about sort of the journey I had later in life as I wrestled with my own faith and and sort of had to come to terms with the things I'd always been taught. Um, but how I came to the faith is real easy. I was young, uh, and by the grace of God, I came to repent of sin and confess faith in the Christ that had been preached to me my whole life. But how did you, uh, how, how did God draw you to him? Yeah, so I think I was a spiritually curious teenager. Um, you know, I was kind of looking for, I had a sense of who, I was never an atheist, and I, I would never have classified myself as agnostic. I was spiritually curious. I was searching, mm-hmm. uh, which breaks my heart to know how many kids might be out there searching God, stirring their hearts and, and making them aware of himself, but not Christ yet because no one has proclaimed the gospel. And um, <clears throat> so I'd tell kids in my youth group and the parents in my youth group, hey, I knew kids I went to high school with that came to this church. No one shared the gospel with me. And it would have been a blessing to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came to, so when I was a teenager, I ended up, uh, probably, man, I might've been 15, 16, 17 years old and bought my first Bible just cause I wanted to read it. Um, I just kind of had this assumption, uh, maybe because I was born in America that, um, this is the religion that I would explore first and, and the most. Um, so I started reading like one of those one year Bibles, the, the ones in, in chronological order, not with any degree of regularity. But I would just pick it up um, and read, you know, maybe a couple days worth of, of stuff and then maybe not touch it for a few weeks or a couple <clears> months. But I was kind of searching and I really had very little direction. And um, I was kind of I was kind of not really willing to ask questions in fear of just being made to sound stupid. Um, like, why do you need that kind of thing? You know, what does it matter? Um, and I don't know if that's the answer that I would have received. Um, it, it might not have been. I don't know. But I just didn't feel comfortable yet asking those types of questions. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward to when I joined the Army, um, I was in basic training, and um, that was in 2006. And uh, for those of you who might not remember, in 2006, there was a huge push to get people into the U.S. military. So the basic training facilities were like chock full, like they were overcrowded. They had more people there waiting for basic training than they had slots for training. So I ended up being in what they call a holding battalion, which is essentially you sit in a bay with bunk beds. And the only thing you have to do is lay in your rack and clean the barracks. That is it. You're not allowed to do anything else. You got the jewel sergeants there who are up your rear end like the whole time. It is just the worst experience, man. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But the benefit there was I started attending services on Sunday. Um, they had different options. I chose the Protestant. They had like a kind of like a popular evangelical Protestant option, which I chose. Um, I got one of those Gideon Bibles, like the New Testament. That's like, I mean, I swear, man, it's this. T- you can fit in the palm of your hand. Your and your hand can wrap around it. So I read that cover to cover in that thirty days that I was in um, wow. training battalion. Yeah, and so I read the entire New Testament. Um, I you know, what people say when they say, oh, I gave my life to Christ. You know, you could say I did that when I was there. Mm-hmm. And 
in that battalion and at one of those services, like, you know, raising the hand, walking the aisle, all those things that I think are stupid. And like, I, it, but oh I, this. <laughs> we're going to have to talk later. Keep going. But, but I mean, God used it. Like, I do think that the reason I say it's stupid is because there was no follow-up. There was no like, Oh, now that you've, mm. now that you have repented right. of your sin and you have now put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now go and do this. There was right. no, there was nothing afterwards. So I kind of floundered for like three or four years, man. Like, mm. Sure, I read the New Testament, but there was no instruction outside of that. And my only experience in the faith was seeing um, Roman Catholic kids that went to CCD in my hometown, you know, and I mean, certainly, I mean, half their parents were alcoholics, <laughs> you know, and and they came from just as broken homes as I did, you know, with, with their parents being split up. And, um, you know, like, I didn't see anything special. I didn't see it. So I just thought like, dude, you just live your life any old way. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see how you put the faith into practice at that point. Robin and I got married in 2010. And um, I would say, I don't remember was exactly. He, was, was, she, was she a believer when you married her? She was not. She okay. was not. So I didn't even know at that time, you know, what it meant to be unequally yoked. Right. Oh, no, so, yeah. and, and I didn't even know what it like, you know, when you look back, you go like, well, I didn't really have the fruit of repentance and faith in my life. So you can, you know, someone could certainly make the argument that at basic training, I wasn't saved, you know, mm-hmm. it was some work of God, but I wasn't in that, in that state necessarily. God was still drawing me to him. Mm-hmm. So um, a couple of years later, we decided to go to church. I, I just had this burning desire. Like I need to hear the gospel, went to a church and the cool really? thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing brought it on. It just, just God, just God awakening my heart, man. And God drives men to himself. He does. He does. So yeah. you can kind of see how my upbringing does reflect my theology, right? Yeah. So at yeah. that time, at that time, I would not consider myself a monergist, meaning that God does the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would have had your, I started with a popular evangelical understanding of the faith. Mm-hmm. And the more I was at, and the first thing, this church, it was a mega church. It's about 2000 people now. Um, still have a friend that's on staff there. And, um, you know, my wife and I got involved with celibate recovery. She got involved with, with serving mm-hmm. in the ministry. I got involved with, in the youth ministry. And the thing that drew me there, um, the, you know, they had the flashy lights. They had the, the fog machine that I hate. I, I, I hate that thing um, and all that stuff. But it was the fact that people there looked like me. Um, you know, I kind of had in my mind that people that, that were Christians had to be buttoned up all the time. Um, I never saw someone that was a follower of Jesus that had tattoos and I already had tattoos. So I kind of thought like anywhere I go for church, like no one's going to accept me because of my tattoos. No one's going to accept me because of my background. Like I don't have the picture perfect background. Um, like I just felt like I didn't belong anywhere, but um, we were at that church. We definitely belonged. Um, there were some issues with the teaching, which we didn't really, I, I didn't really kind of get wise to that until I started going to Bible college. And then um, God was really working in me, man. It was like a brush fire. It was just um, the Holy Spirit was just, he, he taught me so much in my early years in the faith and he continues mm-hmm. to teach me so much. And it's really a work of God because I wouldn't be where I am today if, if he hadn't been working through, through all things. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at and went to yeah. a, went to an Armenian dispensationalist school and ended up being like the exact opposite of that. 
<laughs> it's just one of those things, man. God's there, problem. There Thero teaching and dispensationalism will do that to you. It only <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I just, I guess like for me, you know, I've always been such a staunch, like, what does the Bible teach? Like if you, if you see an error in me or someone else, like first find it in the Bible in context, like, like, is this really what it means? Like study it first. Don't just pull something out of context, study it. And then if this is what it means, then like, Hey, let's lovingly, encourage one another in the faith because mm -hmm. uh, for so long the only con conception that i had of the christian faith was the roman catholic and then the, this kind of popular evangelical type faith that was you know an inch deep um mm -hmm. and an inch wide you yeah. know it was, so um yeah i know why i have such a strong desire to see people grow and, and know and grow in knowledge yeah now of course the, the purpose of this session is not to like psychoanalyze you but it is amazing, it is amazing to see how the ways your experience does in fact color. Oh, it absolutely. Uh, it's so clear. It absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any, if you look historically at um, any of the great men of the faith that we look back toward now, whether it's in the Reformation, the Puritan era, you can see how their context really shaped their thinking. Yeah. Um, you look at the difference between Luther and, and Calvin. They agree on a lot of items of theology, but they write about it very differently. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I really enjoy about Calvin is he is very systematic, just like a lawyer. However, mm -hmm. he does write a he does write devotionally, like the Institutes of, of the Christian Religion. You know, his systematic theology, his seminal work. Mm -hmm. He writes very. It's very systematic. Um, very straightforward once you kind of understand what's going on at the time period, but it's also devotional. Um, mm -hmm. it, it kind of creates a desire. To, it, it's um, what's the term that I'm thinking of? It, um, I don't know, just very worshipful, I think. Mm -hmm. you know? um, whereas in Luther, you have someone who's an Augustinian monk who, mm -hmm. uh, who their theology is very similar to Calvin's in some, in some senses, but is very focused on the individual, very yep. focused on the individual because that's what an Augustinian monk did. They were very much in the, you know, caring for the poor. So yeah. you have two different approaches. So, you know, how you've been shaped, we might, you and I have a lot of theological agreement, how we get there or how we, how we articulate it could be very different. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's okay to recognize that we are men of our times uh, mm -hmm. and, and of our upbringings. Yeah. I'm thankful for the upbringing that I had. In many ways, well, I recognize too that it wasn't perfect, and that affects the way that I view the world. Um, I think that uh, what I'll share next is because um, because I did have a conversion experience so young. Is uh, I think you raise people, your hand. Say what? You raise your hand. Um, I said the prayer, and they dunked me. They dunked me. Hey, <laughs> right, then and there? right then and there. Uh, no, I got baptized a, a few years later, so it didn't happen like all at once. But I said the prayer when I was like five. So I think my parents exercised some wisdom in waiting. <laughs> I, I'm sure a five-year-old can be converted, but uh, it's, was it in a church or was it in a camp meeting? No, no, no. It was it was at home. At home. At home. Yeah, I was at home with my my. It was it, my dad baptized me. It was with my parents that I that I said the prayer. Um, there, they. I, I really look. I'm I'm very very blessed in the way that I was raised. A lot of uh, the seminal moments of my faith took place with my family. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't at a camp or a church meeting. It was at home. Um, however, so I, I said the prayer and got baptized really young. 
and then uh, really entered adolescence and probably especially around the age of 13, um, started asking a lot of big, hard questions because uh, you can't you can't hang on your parents coattails forever. You know, I'm thankful for the things they taught me and the way I was raised. But at some point, uh, you have to ask the question, do I believe this stuff? Right. So I would say probably the next seven or eight years, um, I think if you looked at me from the outside, you would have just sort of shrugged it off as typical goody two-shoes pastor's kid, because I was in church every week, and I had all the answers in Sunday school, uh, and I led the praise band, all that stuff. But those seven to eight years, um, I think were some of the most tumultuous internally of my life, because uh, I, I had a, an entire worldview that uh, had had been taught to me. And I was really, for the first time, deeply questioning it. Uh, and that was quite a process. And I, I'm not willing to say that uh, a, a day ever came during that time that I wasn't um, saved because, do you, have you ever been introduced, they, you were sort of, uh, you became a Christian after their era, but are you familiar with Jars of Clay, the band, the Christian band? I think I've heard of it. So I don't they, know. One of their one of their songs, one of their big hits, uh, the chorus went, "This is the one thing, the one thing that I know." And because they were artists and not theologians, they like never said what the one thing was. Uh, but but it was but it was clearly Christ and the gospel. And I I would say for about those seven or eight years, if such a thing can exist, I was a Jesus only Christian. Uh, I I I was never able to like. There were a lot of other things I really called into question and at some points even threw aside especially in the bible like i'm a big bible thumper now but there was a, a long er period of time in my life when i wasn't sure that most of what was in the bible was of any value to me at all um however by the grace of god i could not i, I just couldn't do away with christ uh that whatever else came into question i i that was just uh there's, there's just, it was like, there's just too much evidence. I, there, no question. There was this, there's a man named Jesus and, uh, he died and they can't find his body. So what am I supposed to do with him now without getting into all, cause I could talk forever about that period of time. It was quite a, quite an adventure, quite a journey. However, at the end of it all, after a lot of seeking and searching and God really working in me, uh, I was reading in the New Testament about Jesus, the guy that I believed in, and I read what he said about the scriptures, that in the Psalms, men wrote, you know, talking about David, men wrote what God spoke. And I realized I claimed to believe in Jesus, yet I rejected what he believed about the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, a shift took place where I realized if I am to claim Christ as Savior and as Lord, uh, must I not adopt his beliefs regarding the this book. So what you're saying is that you were converted through the word of God and not the ingenuity of man. <laughs> sounds very Calvinistic. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get into this someday. I'm I'm what I like to call an almost Calvinist. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm I'm a I'm a four point Calvinist, but I reject probably the the essential point, which we'll get into you, another you know, time. You know what you are. You're you're the guy who says neither to an either or proposition. <laughs> <laughs> you're me of thirty minutes ago. But uh, but I'll tell you what I I do think there's a similarity in our experiences in that um, 
I really sensed the um, the the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Even in let's let's assume for a moment that I was in fact saved at at eight or nine or whatever age, which we'll talk about someday. I, I think that I was. Um, but even after that event took place, God didn't stop drawing me. That it was it was um, you know salvation is not a, a a process. It's something that Christ accomplished once for all. And yet, uh, in being saved, uh, my experience has been. It's funny. People, you know, a lot of a lot of people who are who came to Christ later in life, they share about sort of one moment where their life shifted. And thank God for those testimonies. But for me, it was more like a series of moments over many years by which God uh, drew me ever deeper into faith in Him and in His Son. I'm. Uh... I just started a book by Tim Keller. It's kind of kind of old. I forget what year it was written, but mid two thousands, and uh, it's called "Making Sense of God." So I just finished the first chapter last night, and he was talking about how just the evidence of religion and, and the purpose, and he, he, he engages with a lot of secular humanist thinking and, and atheists and, and whatnot. But he talks about one thing that even secular humanists that have even had a godlike experience uh, mm-hmm. talk about, which is this supernatural experience. And that can look and seem very different to certain people. So like you, like, well, how about this? Why don't you kind of talk about, because this is one of the things that really irked me about the Christian faith when I first entered it was there was a lack of specifics. There there was no specificity, which I know of at least one friend. I saw him go from um, a Roman Catholic to a Muslim because he just couldn't get past the lack of specifics. Mm. that were available to him mm-hmm. and now that i'm so far into you know um the study of god and being in the faith i go goodness man there's so much richness so yeah. um let's get into the, the specificity about what we're talking about because i'm sure if someone's watching and, and maybe they don't know what we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, maybe they've sensed it and they just don't know what to call it so mm. what does that what does that mean for the holy spirit to be drawn so before I answer that question, you need to answer your wife's because if we continue to ignore her, then she'll hunt me down later. <laughs> yeah. So she asked, when did you get baptized, Eric? See if you can get that weekend date right. I think uh, I was baptized. My wife and I got baptized the same day. I remember that. Um, but I think it was October 7th, 8th, or 9th. It was like the weekend of our anniversary, I believe. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, I want to ask you a question first. I'm not. I'm not going to ignore your question, but I want to. I want to hear something. Uh, give you a chance to share a little bit, and I want to ask you, are, you a question. That you are ignoring my question. I. I, I didn't. That's exactly what you're doing. No, no, no. You, I'm going to answer your question, but it's your turn. I. I just shared for like five or six minutes. I'm fascinated. I didn't know this about you. I'm fascinated by the fact that um, your sort of uh, initiation into the faith was a 30-day reading of the new testament will you yeah. please share about that because that had to be to, to my mind as someone who you know i'm thankful for my exposure to scripture from a young age i wouldn't trade it for anything but in some ways because i went through that process i sort of imbibed scripture very slowly like yeah i knew john three sixteen when i was six years old but then by the time i'm 10 i didn't know tons more than that um yeah. As opposed to you, there are people who are fifty who don't know much more than that. <laughs> yeah. 
as opposed to you, uh, in 30 days, you read the whole New Testament. Uh, what was that like? As a, as well, a... first off, I mean, I read the entire New Testament, but it's not like I knew the entire New Testament, right? Because you no. have to have the Holy Spirit who teaches you and, and whatnot. Um, but I mean, what, what, what was your – I'm just trying to imagine – because for me, there are parts of the Bible that uh, that sort of shock and surprise and challenge me, but so much of it is familiar. I, I don't even remember what it's like to read it for the first time. Yeah, so I'll say this. You have no cultural awareness of the text, so there's that. Yeah. And you also have no cultural like appropriation from the first century into the 21st century, and then trying to read it back into – the first century and you you don't have this confusion of cultures hmm. um you know you don't read it as a devotional <laughs> you know you don't read it as though oh this is written specifically for me hmm. um you know you see it as something that is what i think is uh, germane to the text which is it's communal you know it speaks about a community being saved not just individuals both hmm. and not either or right um in today's faith you often read it as a single individual being saved rather than an entire community. So, um, which actually interestingly, just a quick aside, if you read the Puritans, you'll notice that they speak very much about um, singular individuals being saved. It's because at that time, there was a sense of, there was an overcorrection towards communal nature of salvation in the church rather than individual. So we keep going back and forth. We can't ever get things absolutely correct. But Mm -hmm. um, so reading it for the, first time in i just kind of read it and was like wow you know just kind of astounded and um you know i'm sure some of it i just didn't i mean how can you understand you're reading the new mm-hmm. testament in 30 days and in very small fine print um but it was, it was the work of the holy spirit man, giving me that opportunity for that time and, and giving me the chance to just read and um you know, I truly believe that God sowed in my heart a lot of the truth that's found in the New Testament through that early reading and through subsequent readings. Yeah. Um, is, know, there, is, there anything, is there anything you remember from that early reading that really stuck out? Like I know sometimes uh, uh, new converts, there will be a verse or a book or, or a chapter that sticks with them more than anything else that they read the first time. Yeah, I would say I would say the thing that stuck out probably most was reading the death of Christ. Um, and, and I think I'm more aware of that even that today as I'm preparing, as we're going to be approaching that in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings at my church. Um, like I remember watching The Passion of the Christ. Um, I saw that um, just because it was popular at the time, you know, before that. And remember reading in the, go- the Gospel accounts of Jesus' death and going like, and having like flashbacks to what I saw on screen, mm-hmm. going like, man, this guy really went through this. And mm-hmm. His own people rejected him. Mm-hmm. Um, his disciples ran away. Like he had no one. Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. And um, I had no, like I didn't really have a sense of like needing to question it. Like I kind of just took it at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, you know, because so many people are so skeptical of the Bible and I get it. I understand why they are, but I didn't have that skeptical nature at that moment. You know, I've, I, I've grown in my skepticism and my cynicism as I've gotten older and gained experience. <laughs> but I just kind of read it, and it did warm my heart. It warmed my heart. Um, you, read it, you, read it, you read it like a child. You read it the way that a child I really did. Story. I really yeah. did. I really did. 
Um, but I can say like one of the benefits is as I approach scripture, I can tell people like, I'm not perfect. I can very well get some things wrong, but we all have to admit that um, we've all grown up in America and many of the people that are a part of my church and even my last church grew up in an era of Christendom in America that just isn't going to happen for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of syncretism, a lot of cultural things that got brought into the gospel message, got brought into the church that has no foundation in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And we need to shed those things um, if they're harmful. Some of them are, some of them aren't. And so I have like in, in certain things, like here's a perfect example. I get in trouble all the time because I don't know what bad words are. Like I grew up in a house where the F bomb <laughs> was used three times in a sentence and, and had three different meanings. Like yeah. I'm not complaining. That's just how it was. And yeah. I was in the army for eight years and you can say the same exact thing. I talked like that for a long period of, of time in my life. I no longer talk like that, hmm. but um, now, now I use words like my wife was telling me um, just the other day, I think we're sitting on the porch and and I've asked her, um, I was out there smoking a cigar and we're talking and she said, you know, I think you should say stupid and idiot a lot less when you preach. Hmm. And and I kind of looked at her, man, because like my wife, um, you know, she didn't grow up in a church. She didn't grow up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not like, I just wasn't expecting to hear, hear her say that. Yeah. So, so it was almost like, uh, yeah, I guess she's right. You know, maybe these are words I probably shouldn't say, especially when someone's like, oh, yeah, my kid's like, oh, well, Pastor Eric said it, yeah. you know, and, and the kid's already yeah. struggling with the language. I'm going to pause you here because I'm really interested to get into this discussion of different cultures. But before we do, I'm not going to ignore your question from earlier. So ask it again. Um, when did your parents realize that you were going to be a disappointment for your entire life? No. No, what about the Holy Spirit? You oh, don't. that question. <laughs> so, uh, th- explain to everyone what what does it feel like for the Holy Spirit to be drawing you or God drawing you? Um, I I'm I'm gonna give an Eric answer here. I I think because you asked you asked the feeling question. Uh, I think it feels different for different people. The the thing that um has really uh. God has really impressed upon me, I think, as I have dug into the scriptures, is that um, experience is, in fact, an important part of Christian faith. And it is very important that you interpret it through the lens of scripture. I think sometimes people, in seeking to to protect people from experiencism, or basically you believe based on what you feel, have, 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 have overcorrected and now say, well, experience doesn't matter, only the scriptures do. The only problem with that is the scriptures are full of experiences that people had with God. Um, So I I think experience is actually a really important part of Christian faith. But the way that we interpret experience is through the word of God. All that to say, the way that it it felt for me um, was like this. it, 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 It was like that thing in the back of your mind that you can't quite grasp but you can't get rid of either mm-hmm. just kind of constantly there uh, and i i'm convinced now that that was the preserving you know the the scriptures talk about the holy spirit as a seal upon salvation i'm convinced now that that was the holy spirit's preserving power 
holding me to Christ, binding me there, even as I was wandering all over the place. Um, but the reason I interpret it that way is not because I had a dream and an angel said something. Thank God for dreams and angels. But the reason that I interpret it that way is because of what Paul teaches in the scriptures about the role of the Holy Spirit. So I think it feels different for a lot of people. The experience is not going to be the same, but the way that you interpret your experiences, when you do it through scripture, it'll all make sense. Well, I do think there are a couple of things that are objective just to, you know, I agree with everything that, that you just said, Luke. I, I just like to add that, you know, there's sorrow over sin. Um, hmm. So as you, you're going to be made aware of your sin one way or another. God's going to supernaturally bind your conscience to something. Uh, the word of God will be shared with you in some way, and it will be supernaturally uh, working in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Um, something will happen where you do sense a conviction of your own sinfulness. Mm -hmm. And you'll have this sense of um, there's more. Like there's more to life than, than what I, I'm currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it'll not at you. And that's how I felt from probably – I don't know, man, maybe 14, 15 years old. There's more to life than, mm. than this. And um, it took me, you know, several years after that to really come to, to know God and the way that he desires to be known. Um, mm. So, so there is that sense and, and that is going to look differently for people throughout their lives, depending on their context and probably how their culture and, and whatnot. But ultimately God's going to convict you of your sin. And, um, you know, that can be sorrow where you're in tears over, you know, your own uh, sinfulness and your gratefulness towards God for his work. Um, but it could just mean, you know, maybe you're not a very emotional person where you're going to be brought to tears. And you're just like, uh, you, you just don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And, and you're just overwhelmed. But he's also going to bring you to a place of grace and mercy where he applies the gift of faith to you. And it's going to be like a balm to your soul. Um, so both of those things will happen through the Holy Spirit yeah. um, if indeed you're in Christ. So. Yeah. So I was hoping now we could sort of – you you started to get into it because this will be where we have very different um, experiences in talking about – so we sort of talked about our upbringing with our parents, but how about our upbringing as regards to the church? Uh, because I wasn't just raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a church thankful for that, thankful for the many teachers and teachings that the Lord provided for me. And just like my parents weren't perfect, my churches weren't perfect. Uh, and it was really interesting. You were talking earlier about syncretism. It was really interesting as I grew up navigating the cultural expectations levied upon uh, a young Christian versus the uh, scriptural expectations. And uh, looking back now, there was enough uh, of the word of God in my upbringing in the church for me to say, I'm glad for it. But uh, there was a lot, a lot of cultural expectations levied by people that had very little to do with the word of God and an uh, awful lot to do with uh, sort of the modern conventions of those, that time and place. Can, can I give you a perfect example that's fresh in my mind? I have yeah. to. So there's, um, I don't know the guy's name, but he's been sharing a lot of, I guess he has a either a YouTube channel or a Facebook page. Um, forget the guy's name, but I've seen some people share his video. Guy's got tattoos. I'm jealous of his tattoos, man. 
excuse me, they're beautiful. Um, and uh, but he just shares kind of he's got like this big old study Bible and he's sharing from the scriptures. People are asking, like, I think one question was uh, whether or not Christians should drink. Another question was whether or not Christians should have tattoos. Uh, I've disagreed with both points that he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the interesting thing, listen, I, I think you can believe, and we've talked a little bit about that, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can think that for yourself, it's just unwise to do something, right? Like you could say, why am I going to get tattoos? Not like, I don't need tattoos. I could use that money for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, I can give it to the church or this or that. Um, so, but he, he brings up, uh, I forget the exact verse, but it's in Leviticus where you shouldn't make any scarrings on your on your body and stuff yep. like that. But he says, that, he's like, that's the word of God. No tattoos. You know, I got my tattoos prior to coming to Christ. You know, I was, you know, I was kind of worldly at that point, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, dude, get in the text. If you read that verse in context, they're talking about how the pagans, just as the pagans are, are cutting themselves as an offering to their God. Um, that's what that text is about. It's not about tattoos as we know them today. It's very mm-hmm. different. Um, so we have to be careful where someone who culturally was raised to think like this guy was probably raised culturally to think, Oh, tattoos are bad, right? Tattoos are not something that Christians get when he sees that text and doesn't really appreciate the context in which it finds itself. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can find scripture to justify just about anything in our lives. Yeah. um, When we read it out of context. So, so what were some of the other, I'm I'm sorry I I don't mean to treat you like a lab subject but people like you fascinate me because I'm such a I was I'm I'm such a a, a part of a Christian culture like it's been a part of my life my whole life. What were some of the other culture shock moments for you as you came into the church? Why there's such bad music uh in like <laughs> like Christian Christian contemporary music now it's gotten better. It's says, gotten better. Says the guy who can quote Britney Spears lyrics. <laughs> hey, guilty as charged. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so um, the music was bad. Um, the movies were worse. So the music has gotten better. Movies, television shows that they've tried to do. I mean, they're all really bad. I I, I made a comment. Maybe one of the first driving worship services that we had and i was like oh you know it's we all have to agree on this i forget what i was trying to illustrate but i said christian movies just are not done really well oh, you know God. the yeah. actors are terrible no. the actors are terrible the script is terrible the sound quality everything is terrible terrible about them and like i had some people reach out and say hey check out this movie check out that movie and there's probably there might be a handful of good ones but as a whole I, th- I think it's a sin how bad they are. Like it, 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 it is a, um, it's, it's awful. It really is. So um, that and how Christians just go like, oh, well, you know, it's, 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 it's Christian, right? So we have to accept it. They're like, is long, is, it's kind of like this. Women are going to buy pocketbooks if you put Gucci on it, no matter what it looks like, right? That just is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who love Gucci because they love the branding. People are going to buy stuff. Christians are going to accept it if you slap Jesus on it. Now, they shouldn't. Um, they should be a bit more discerning. But as soon as you slap Jesus on something or Christian this or Christian that, they're going to be a lot more um, accepting of it. So I didn't buy into that right away. 
Yeah. Um, I remember when I tried to listen to cr- Christian music for the first time, I was like, nah, man, I'm putting Slipknot back on. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, this is just terrible quality. So, yeah. Um, I've come around. There's some, like, I love Christian rap. Like, there's a lot of good Christian rap artists out there. That's coming mm-hmm. from a kid who grew up, like, in the era of Eminem, Dr. Dre, all that stuff. Um, so I love good Christian rap. There are a couple bands that I really like. Um, yeah. But I need I, I need to read Jesus you Jesus. some of I need to read you some of my favorite lyrics from any Christian song now. And uh, it, it's interesting because the guy who wrote the song is now an apostate. Um, but a really really great songwriter. But the, it's so relevant to what we're talking about. Don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. Don't teach me about moderation and liberty. I prefer a shot of grape juice. Don't teach me about loving my enemies. Don't teach me how to listen to the spirit. Just give me a new law. Um, Golly, man. That, that should pierce the heart of every church member, man. Because the, the truth of the matter is, I think the church has conflated, meaning has combined um, a lot of politics into the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the point where we think that if you vote for a certain party, mm-hmm. then you are apostate. You know, how yep. could you, you're betraying the faith, you're betraying God. And that just isn't the case. Yeah. People have different, and this is coming from a guy who uh, I, I don't part, I'm not a fan of either political party. Um, and I know you're not either. Well, um, I definitely side with one more than the other. I'll acknowledge that. On certain positions. Yeah. Yeah. On certain, like, it's one thing, you know, I would say as a whole, on certain positions, I line up more with the Republican Party on certain positions. Yeah. But man, have they sold their soul in, in certain circumstances. And I'm just not willing to sell my soul. I mean, it, it's in the hands of Christ, not mm-hmm. the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, and, and the same goes for those who are Democrats as well. Um. So I just think I, I, there are so many things that get mirrored or, or get get wrapped into the Christian faith or in the local church that just doesn't belong there. Mm. And, and people, because they've grown up in the faith, they just have accepted it. It's kind of like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Andy Stanley, but he wrote um, – he, he's written a few pretty good books if you can spit out the bones and, and chew the meat. Mm-hmm. And in one of the books, he talks about how when you're looking at your church building – you'll walk by the same um, trashy area because you're just used to that clutter over there. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a stack of books, you just, you become blind to that stack of books. Yep. That's how we've grown in the church. We've grown blind to these, these inconsistencies in our faith. Yeah. And I don't mean inconsistencies in the scripture. I mean, inconsistencies in our biblical belief and we're, we are okay with suspending our biblical beliefs our Christian faith, we're, we are okay suspending it in favor of other things. No, no, I, I, I actually think you're wrong about that. The, the longer that I do this, the more I find that it is not because we suspend our, our Christian beliefs. It's because we genuinely so many times do not know what the scriptures actually say. I, I, Which I, is I, even more damning. <laughs> I think, you know, like, listen, if some punk kid from Oxford, Massachusetts can read the New Testament in 30 days, um, if you've been in the faith for for ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and you haven't read at least the entire New Testament, um, you need a gut check, man. 
You need, mm. you need, I'm not saying that you're not part of the faith, but you probably still are. I'm just saying like, you need a gut check. Like, where's your heart? Mm. Um, because this is, this is the word of the very word of God. Um, mm. you know, we think of, you know, I just lost my mom. I'd give anything to, um, to just hear her voice again, man. Like just to talk mm. to her. Um, you know, I haven't told anyone this, so I guess I'm telling the, the three people that are watching right now, but I've heard the same three voicemails from my grandmother saved since before she died. And I will uh, occasionally listen to them, and it just like breaks my heart, man. It just it breaks my heart because I miss I miss her, and I don't even have that for my mom. Like I will never hear her voice again, and that's just that's a gut punch. We have the very word of God. I mean, the word of God is is a greater treasure than those three voicemails I have from my grandmother. Um, and, and for us to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus, and to not read the word of God, to me, it, it's just, I just want to yell and be like, what the heck's wrong with you? But, but so often, Eric, it's because, and I'm not justifying and I'm not making excuses for them, but I am, as someone raised in the church, I think making an accurate observation. It's because we are so often um, raised in the new law rather than the scripture. Like, I can't tell you how, and I'm, and I'm thankful, look, I'm thankful for my Sunday school teachers and youth leaders. They, I learned many um, wonderful truths of the faith from them, but I can't tell you how many times I sat through worksheets about morality that had a couple scripture references, and that was called the Bible study. Yeah, uh, that's and, awful, man. No, that's, that's a, that's, to me, that's just, that's one of the things that our Lutheran, the good Lutheran. Um, that they get right, man. They focus so much on Christ that it almost comes across as antinomian, which which means like it's almost as though they reject the law. They don't reject the law. They rightly use the law. And the law draws, it points them, pushes them towards Christ and the right understanding of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and the law is to be used for, for morality and, for, and to restrain evil and for us to know what pleases God and how to serve him. But good gravy train people, like, we need to teach and preach Christ and him crucified. We need to be chasing after him, and the virtues will come along the way as we grow into Christ. Um, but we treat Christ as though he's just the icing of the cake. And, and we build the foundation, like the ingredients, the sugar, the flour, the, I don't know, the cake. I don't know. I'm not a baker. All the crap that you're throwing in the cake, man. Like, that's the morality. That's the that's the what we call Christian values. It's the nationalism and the patriotism. It's the Republican Party. It's all that stuff, and we mix it in a bowl. It's the eggs, all that, and then mm-hmm. we bake it, put it in the oven, and then we put Jesus on top and say, "Here you go." And we try to feed it to people, and then we're surprised that they turn twenty two years old, they come out of college, and they never step foot in a church again. Yeah, because they've never been taught Christ. They've never been preached Christ. They've never met Christ in the Scriptures. They've only met our misconception of morality. Now, there are some real interesting comments that I think we need to interact with now. Um, I'll start with Mark's. Mark always with interesting things to say. And I'll be honest, I, I've worked a lot with Mark. I don't think I've ever had an up uh, like, a, like a deep conversation with him about his background. I don't think I really understood that he, had, that he had come from a secular background. I'm sure he's mentioned it before. He says, I didn't understand how Christians are expected to be nice instead of honest. I, I will share something on this point about my upbringing, and I, I feel that I've, um, I've done done a lot of honor to my parents in acknowledging, and I try to acknowledge to this very day, I mean, 
I didn't realize how privileged I was in my upbringing until I became an adult and met adults who were raised differently. Mm -hmm. Raised with one parent, raised with parents who constantly fought. Like I had it so good. One of the imperfections of my upbringing is we didn't do conflict well. And I think part of the reason we didn't do conflict well was because uh, for the same reason the church doesn't do conflict well, which is that we choose nice over honest. Um, and there's a lot in the New Testament about speaking the truth in love. And there are Christians and churches who never speak hard truth because they think, I think they genuinely think that's how you practice compassion. When in fact, what the scriptures teach is that if your brother or sister is in sin and you say nothing, you hate them. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. I don't understand nice and it might be because I'm not a nice person. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think that we overplay that term, you know, because and Mark's right on, man. Like we, we kind of oftentimes popular evangelical theology and understanding of the Bible goes to certain extremes. And one of those extremes is to be super, super nice that you never have conflict with anyone mm -hmm. where we obviously see in the new Testament that conflict can be healthy because in the midst of, I mean, think about this. When you come to faith, there is conflict. We, I mean, our, our whole faith is built on conflict. We have conflict with God in the garden. <laughs> we have conflict throughout the Old Testament through, with Israel. We have conflict even when we come to faith and we have the sense of, of sorrow over our sin and we repent of our sins. And then we turn to God in faith. There's conflict there. Then you get into the church and then you're called to care for your brother. Have you ever tried to care for some, like care for an older adult who thinks like, they don't believe you that if you uh, like, I know plenty of plenty of older people who think that, oh, well, the COVID-19 is not a really big deal. I'm just going to go out and do everything my normal way. And it's like, no, you are the exact target audience that we are trying to protect in this country. But you're not listening. Like, yeah. And, and, and granted, like, OK, I'm 32 years old. You're 80 something, 90 something. Do, do what you want. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I get it. I totally understand. But like you run into people even in the faith where like you, you approach them with the scriptures and then you just go, eh. you go, no, no. And so there so there's conflict there. And we see in the church that there's the responsibility of going, no, 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 no. not just eh. there's like it's right here. Like, let's let's help get there. Like, I love you. And because I love you, I, I'm trying to correct you. Yeah. Um, when there is no honesty, there is no love. There is no niceness. In fact, you hate your brother. When you're yeah. not honest with them. Now, now, obviously, we can err too far on the other side, which I think sometimes you and I do, where we speak the truth, but we don't speak it gently. We don't speak it in love. Uh, we don't. Especially we don't, with one another. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we, there's sort of an understanding between us that I, I think we can get away with a lot more. But you can't err too far on the other side. But I, I think Mark is absolutely right that uh, it is so easy to hide behind a veil of niceness. Uh, and and you're constantly sweeping things under the rug, and over the years, it's rotting. And at some point, like you either have to deal with what you keep sweeping under the rug, or uh, it it it's the death of your church. Um, a, a, a interesting comment from Wes. You you learned Christianese many times. Yeah, you know that's one of those languages that Eric never had to speak was Christianese. You know there are other, so 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 I'll I'll tell you one of the phrases one of the Christianese phrases that uh, I was I was thinking about very recently was 
because uh, when you are part of Christian culture, there are like fads and trends and things that sweep through, like with any other culture. Uh, one of the big phrases was uh, relationship, not religion, which which I think at its heart is right, right? It's the idea that Christ is a person, not just a set of rules. Um, however, the phrase relationship, not religion, sort of became, uh, for some people, an excuse to not have any spiritual discipline in their lives. Uh, and so, like, that was one of those Christianese phrases that I learned growing up. Relation, like, not religion. Like Jesus, not religion. So I'm just going to crucify him over and over again. Bro. <laughs> Check out, I mean, Jefferson Bethke is the guy that has that YouTube video called Jesus, not, or Jesus is greater than religion. Yeah. And on the Gospel Coalition, there's a great back and forth between Jefferson Bethke, and I believe it's Kevin DeYoung. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a good brotherly email conversation that they share on the website. And yeah. Jefferson Bethke will be like, oh, yeah, I did make some mistakes in what I said. I didn't mean how some people are, so, you know, so it was just really good, man. Because I remember watching that and going, man, this is this is great. Maybe I don't yeah. need to go to church anymore. <laughs> I get my Sundays back. <laughs> so um, uh, Car- Carolyn's comment I actually want to speak to. She says Sunday school only teaches um, Bible stories, not learning the Bible. Uh, I, I want to push back against that a little bit because here's what I, I'll say. I, I'm, I I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to let you respond, but let, let me let me tell my story first. So I think um, a, a household of grace and truth. Grace is not the same as nice. Well, I I agree, Ma. I, I don't. I'm not saying that we never did conflict. Like there, it it happened, and I think you guys modeled it better than most households do. Um, I do think growing up, and it's difficult to decipher how much of this was in the home and how much of it was in the church. I do think growing up that probably if there was an error, it was more on the side of the grace rather than the truth. Um, but I I'm, look, I, even in our conflicts growing up, I had it a lot better than most people. Um, Carolyn's comment. Here's the thing. I don't dispute the point that the point she's making, which is that we teach young kids Bible stories. But I will tell you, I think my my younger years were some of the best I ever got. Um, both in terms of Sunday school teachers and because my mother, who taught me school until I was 10 years old, um, she taught me Bible. I think we should teach kids Bible stories. The problem is, as I got older, not only did we not do Bible stories, uh, we really didn't do much Bible. There were verses, there were all these verse references, but the focus point of, of our studies were some book or, uh, uh, or a topic or it was like it all became well. How we need to address the the uh, the subjects that teenagers want to to study, and there's a place for that. I think there's a place for 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 topically studying the Bible because it speaks to certain subjects. Um, but I would say my training, uh, both from my mother and from my Sunday school teachers, was way better when I was a kid, precisely because I got Bible stories. And then I got older, and I grew out of that. And all of a sudden, all we did was was uh, topical studies that were that had scriptural references. So uh, I don't know. I think we should teach kids Bible stories. The problem is that we stopped teaching them. Well, I so I okay. Now that you said that, I don't disagree. So thank you for your story. And Luke, I want to apologize for cutting you off the way that I did. <laughs> I want to apologize for calling you a dunce about thirty minutes ago. I don't think you caught that. Did you call me a dunce? <laughs> That's the nicest thing that anybody said to me today. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, uh, yeah, we can teach 
Bible stories rightly and wrongly. The Gospel Project is a tremendous resource for all ages. Um, it's age age specific. Um, that goes through the entire Bible. Um, I think in three years, and it's Christocentric. So it po- it shows you how everything points to Christ in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now everything's intertwined. To me, that's the best. The best to me. Studying the Bible in that way is the best way to study it. Um, but there are terrible ways to study the Bible, like you can see in Veggie Tales, right? Like veggie, a lot of our Sunday school curriculum for kids hmm. essentially is like Veggie Tales light. <laughs> like you can hardly tell the difference. There's nothing deep there. It's just moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. No, no, Carolyn, Carolyn just made a comment, which clarifies. I now understand what she was saying. Yes, I totally agree, Carolyn. She says, yes, but we repeat the same stories over and over. Absolutely. Uh, uh, by the time by the time that I was like 11 or 12, you know, my Sunday school, God bless my Sunday school teachers. I'm thankful they gave, I had, I had a lot more than Eric did. Uh, but I had, I had studied David and Goliath and Joshua and Jericho, you know, a dozen times. And I'd never learned. But I think the reason we do this, Carolyn, I really do because I felt this in talking to my own kids. I didn't miss the flannel board days. I went to churches that were sufficiently old school that in the late 90s, they were still using flannel boards. I'll have you know. Uh, but the the one of the things, I'll tell you one of the things I've really wrestled with with my own kids is I'm starting to teach them the Bible. I instinctively skip most of the Bible stories because there's stuff in them. Hold on, let me finish. There's stuff in them that I don't want to have to talk to my kids about. Um, but I am like what? Have you read the book of Genesis lately? Yeah. Okay. So uh, you would like to explain to my five-year-old Lot's daughters sleeping with him to continue their family line. Now let me sure. finish. And I'll, t- and I'll tell them how it's wrong. Now let me finish. I am realizing just how wrong I am to do that. Um, but but I, I think. See, if you just want to interrupt me and let me get to the end, most of the time I arrive at the right conclusion. I can't help myself. I haven't learned how to be nice yet. I haven't been the, I haven't been the, the faith long enough. But, but I'll tell you, I do understand the, the sort of instinctive um, – now, I'll tell you, growing up in my home, we, we studied uh, – there was very little of that. Like I got most of it from, from a very young age, but I think in church – there was a sense of we can't talk about certain things to young kids, so let's just stick to these sort of route stories. And I've, and I've, I've had to sort of repent of that pretty recently and say, I, if I do, if I really believe this is the word of God, uh, I should not be ashamed of it before my children. Yeah, one of the like, I, there are certain things I don't look forward to talking to my kids about, but if it comes up in the word of God, like, I'm going to do it, you know. That was an awkward conversation. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that you kind of mentioned that jogged my jogged my thought process as far as like the differences between you and I and our upbringing. You're probably more familiar with most of the Bible stories than I might ever be, yep. and and I say that to people in my <laughs> church a lot. Yeah, because like someone will bring up a story and I'll go, I might have read that, but I don't quite remember. Right. Yep. Because it was never ingrained in me. I was never taught. So like, okay, I might have some benefits coming into the faith without having some of these um, syncretist ideas. But um, 
I am missing out on the richness of, of some of Scripture. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I want to be clear because we've sort of gone on for a little bit about uh, cultural Christianity and the imperfections of the church. I would not exchange my upbringing for anything. I would not exchange the upbringing provided to me by my parents. I would not exchange the upbringing provided to me by the church. Uh, I am very happy that uh, and very thankful that God gave me what he did, imperfections and all. It is far preferable to the alternative. Yeah, and I wouldn't change mine either, to be clear. Like, you know, I, um, my childhood, you know, I wasn't beat as a kid, but I didn't have it easy either. And, um, you know, I wouldn't change the way that I was raised one bit because it made me who I am today. God used it for a, for a reason. So, you know, who am I to question his, his providence? Pama is very insistent that we need to bring back the flannel boards, and I don't disagree. I actually remember enjoying those very much as a kid. So do you know what a flannel board is, Eric? I don't. Okay. It's very simple. It's a felt background and felt characters that, like, stick. So it's not quite Velcro, but it's the same kind of a a material. And so you, if you were to tell the story of Zacchaeus, you would have a felt, like a felt tree that you would stick on the map and a felt Zacchaeus and a felt Jesus, and you would move the figures around as you told the story. I have, I have very distinct memories of certain stories and the, these, these felt figures going around on these, uh, you know, like cartoonish uh, Bible backgrounds. Interesting. See the thing hey. you missed out on. Hey, I want to engage with uh, Wes's question real quick. He, he asked, uh, how about the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? Say again? Oh, oh, uh, I think I missed it. Uh, Wes asked, how about the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? I think in context of the culture of Christianity. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have so much of an issue with that one. I think um, – I think where that one goes wrong is when we when we apply it to God, because it ends up becoming this. We, we end up sort of um, trying to remove God's claws and teeth, where it's it's like, uh, well, God doesn't really have wrath wrath against sin. He's not not really upset or angry. Uh, he he loves everyone. They Tell that to good. Jesus who died on the cross. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But I think the but I think the phrase when it's taken at face value of what we are to do, I'm fine with it because I uh, I'm I'm called I'm called to love my enemies. I'm called to love those outside the church, and uh, and but not at the cost of truth. So I have no problem with it. It see it seems without meaning to I have I have incited a disagreement with my parents. I may will I'm sure we'll have to talk about that later. I'm gonna I'm gonna honor my father and read his comment. The, uh, the word is great that we're that we're recognizing how conflict is. is uh, <laughs> so in the I think I think they might be disproving my point because they are not afraid to disagree with me. <laughs> so maybe my perception is wrong. <laughs> and that's a, like, well, perception is important, but yeah. our perceptions can often be wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to read his point, though. I think it's a good one. Uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Yes, we need both. We need both. Uh, if, we're, if we err on, in, in either direction, I think we do so to our own detriment. Amen. I, I agree, mom and dad. We need both grace and truth. And I had a great deal of both growing up. We'll hash out later how much of each. Matt, Matt brings up a good uh, good point. He says this conversation brings up awkwardness that passages like Ezekiel 16 or the Book of Hosea carry. 
but I found them to be such a beautiful example, or such beautiful examples of God's love for his people. They include some naughty words in them. You know, I'm reminded that there are certainly some naughty words that can come up in the text of Scripture, and we shouldn't shy away from them. Um, the last thing we want to do is neuter God mm. or, or give that perception. Yeah. So, you know, in the case of Hosea and Gomer, listen, talk to your kids about prostitution. You got to tell them one, one day, you know, at some time or another. Um, but show them how they themselves are the prostitutes in the grand scheme of redemption. It's funny. This is the second time I'm going to quote a Derek Webb song. So I'm just going to tell you who he is, Derek Webb. Okay. Um, he, he wrote a song about the book of Hosea, and it had a line in it. I am a whore. I do confess. I put you on like a wedding dress, and I run down the aisle. And there was great consternation about like, oh, he used the word whore. I'm like, did you read the book? <laughs> did you read the book of Hosea? It's just, uh, it's amazing uh, how sometimes in, in, in the name of, uh, you know, Christian niceness, we disqualify the very words of God, the ones that he used. Yeah. Well, and, and it goes back, you and I have had a little bit of this conversation off air, and we don't need to get into the weeds now, but, you know, just the way we talk, you know, the, the language that we use, you know, many people say, well, cursing is a swim swim is a sin you know using bad you, words you combine swim. swear and sin i've never heard that, never heard that term swim. i'll refer to that as swinning from now on <laughs> so stop swimming but uh yeah so you know a lot of you know many people say you know no, don't let unwholesome speak come from your mouth okay well what is unwholesome mm-hmm. talk what is yeah. unwholesome speak and so it's very cultural it's very it, it very much the, what is unwholesome yeah. right now with the you know, three people who are watching can be very different than the other three people who are watching. Sure. The context of my church can be different than your church. If I'm, if I am a pastor of a congregation that is made up of active duty soldiers in the United States Army, um, and they're all infantry, the way I talk is be- when that's all they do. All they do is swim, 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 no matter what. <laughs> um, so I, I just think like. You know, the context is going to be so different. So I might use a vernacular there that is different than the vernacular used here in Johnson County. So, um, and for those who haven't been to faith long enough, like myself, who's only been to faith for 10 years or so, uh, maybe longer, I don't know. That's up to God to decide. But I can, like, there are words that I don't realize. Like, idiot's a bad word. Like, I didn't realize that. But my wife points it out to me. Stupid, that's a bad word. Like, when did that become a bad word? Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of those things. Like I remember um, when I was a kid, when I was like in high school, people would use a, the F word for people who are gay, right? People who are same sex attracted, which yeah. both you and I affirm as a sin. So there was an F word that I don't use now because it's, it's likened to the N word. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a term that's so nasty that you just don't use it anymore. Right. But um now it's that you know that word has risen to that level of of unwholesome speak Mm. i would never use that word now yeah um but it's almost like there are words that are up to that level of unwholesomeness that i don't even realize so sometimes i walk into something (laughs) and i go oh i guess i shouldn't have said that you know um and it's an act it's purely accidental yeah. Now, Pama makes a comment uh, on the earlier conversation about child development and age appropriateness coming into play with Bible stories. I think there is something to this. I understand your point about talking to an eight or a nine year old about some of these things. 
Uh, I'm not sure if four is the age to be discussing sodomy. Um, however, I think, I think, I think this is where there is value. And look, I'm, I'm a, I'm a read the text guy. I tell my people all the time, um, read the text of scripture. However, I think there is great value in telling Bible stories. Mm -hmm. I really do. Uh, especially the kids, kids love stories and you don't have to sit down with your Bible and read all of Genesis one, two, three, to talk, tell them the story of creation. Uh, you, you can, you can be out in Wait, the, why you don't want to teach your kids about creation when you're an evolutionist. No, no, no. My, my point is I can be in a walk with my, you're kids. walking outside the bounds of orthodoxy here, bud. <laughs> I can be in a walk with my kids and, and point out the tree and say, you know, God made that. He made all the plants of the earth. He called them up out of the ground. I can be out with them at night and see the stars. Say, you, you know, God made those. He just spoke and light shone. Um, and so I think there are ways that we can tell Bible stories, even maybe the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, without discussing all the sordid details. Yeah, I mean, and really that's up to the parents. Yeah. Um, you know, really it is a sin how parents don't take seriously the uh, discipleship of their own kids. Mm. And, and if you don't disciple your own kids and say they're in public school, you're just setting your kid up for failure. You're setting your kid up for apostasy. I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm not saying that uh, public school leads to apostasy. And I'm not. I'm saying that if you're not discipling your kids, they're going to school six or eight hours a day, five days a week, where their posture, they're not coming from a biblical worldview. They're coming from a secular humanist worldview. Yeah. So you just need to know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Put your kids in public school. Great, but make sure that when they come home, you're deprogramming from from uh from some of those things i um i'm thankful for the sunday school teachers and youth leaders i had growing up i learned a lot from them but uh one, one of the true privileges of my life is i can say that by the time i was 10 years old um i i knew more bible than most of my peers and it wasn't because of sunday school teachers or youth leaders it was because my parents taught me scripture at home and uh as parents as christian parents we should take that responsibility very very seriously we have a very short amount of time uh to teach our children to love the word of god by teaching them the word of god that's good man a good place to close it we we, we did a lot fun. even even got to watch me fight with my parents a little bit <laughs> it's kind of fun <clears throat> um yeah and we do you know we do have to learn how to disagree well especially in the public sphere because I was talking to some pastors earlier, there's some um, public disagreement going on in the reformed sphere right now. Um, and it's just heartbreaking, man, to see some yeah. people going after one another. Um, and it's like, they're, they're ad hominem attacks. They're not, they're not substantive attacks on, yeah, on yeah. specific arguments. Well, well, I'll tell you what too, at the risk of getting a little bit somber, uh, knowing the position that you're in, I'm thankful to have parents to argue with. Like that's uh that's a privilege that it's easy to take for granted. So thank, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you for raising me so well. Uh, thank you for your willingness to graciously fight with me. To be continued, mom and dad. We'll, we'll pick this up another time. Um, we're going to have to learn how to like keep things pithy because <laughs> we are 30 minutes over. And we are just oh, man, yeah. I I think I was reading somewhere like the most successful podcast. Well, no, that's not true because Rogan goes for three or four hours, so we're fine. 
my most successful podcast in the world is like a three hour long interview every time. Yeah. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. We're going to do things our way. We appreciate the people who yeah. watch and listen. Yeah. Um, we're more than willing to take your advice or, or engage with you. Some of you engage with me on Facebook, whether it's Messenger or on comments. Like, I'm glad to do it. Um, but ultimately, um, we are going to just riff, man, and for as long as we have. Because it's, you know, like, this is my time. This is what I like doing. I know you do too. We should get to the catechism because I will have to leave soon. Why? Is your wife going to spank you if you don't get home on time? Hey, I'm a grown man. I do what I want, and I want to be home on time. <laughs> it is none of your business whether or not my wife is spanking me. I don't kiss and tell, Eric. <clears throat> Would that qualify as unwholesome talk? I'm going to cross the line there. I feel uncomfortable. Okay. I, I think okay. maybe other people feel uncomfortable. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I will, I'll acknowledge my wrong there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, however, my wife will also admit that I'm a prude when it comes to talking about you know, certain things. Oh, man. We're going we're gonna to have to have a podcast about sex one of these days then. That will be great. I don't – We'll talk, about, we'll talk about Song of Solomon. It'll be it'll be it'll be wonderful. Question fourteen. I really, am, I really am pushing now. I'm gonna let you. <laughs> My face is getting redder and redder. I know, and I'm enjoying it far too much. <laughs> and it's not from anger; it's from being embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Um, your your wife's having the time of her life, but uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. All right. Um, <clears throat> question fourteen. Luke. Can God do all things? Most things. You're wrong again. Like I don't, I don't know how you're on this podcast. We might have to replace you with Mark Wilkinson <laughs> because you get every catechism question wrong. I almost said catech question. I'm just combining words now. Can God do all things? Yes, Luke. God can do all his holy will, meaning God can do all according to his own will. And the text of scripture that they have cited here is from Job 42.2, which is one of the most magnificent books of the Old Testament. Hmm. And um, you know, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that. Thwarted. Nothing can be thwarted. Mm-hmm. Um when God has all things in his hands, whatever he purposes, whatever he wills will come to pass, period. And, and, I, story. and I think I, I think our stories are perfect examples of that truth, that you grew up in a home completely devoid of Christ. I grew up in a home where he was all over the place, and God brought both of us into his kingdom. Praise be to God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend myself for a minute. I misunderstood the question. I interpret it to mean, can God do anything? Because I was just reading earlier today about how it is impossible for God to lie. That's fair. Some questions I will err, I will, I will err on the side with my Lutheran brothers who will say sometimes there are questions that the Bible doesn't ask and doesn't answer. Hmm. You don't need to be, be a fool and try to. <laughs> wow. Man, that was a, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I really enjoyed today. I appreciated you being 
so open and willing to talk about. Uh, I, I, look, our, our, our focus should always be upon God and his glory, but I think it is valuable for us to tell our stories uh, because they reveal his glory. So I appreciate your willingness to share. Uh, I think Brandon Dan McGee, Dan McGee, really, Dan? He's bringing up Stephen hey, Heretic Furtick. Not not just Furtick. How about pre uh, 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 pre fall Driscoll? He wasn't afraid to talk about that stuff. No, I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about God being able to lie. God, because oh. Furtick has a famous quote, and in context, it's still like cringy man i thought he, was he says about- god he says god breaks the law through jesus jesus breaks the law you just go like ooh, like i'm just waiting for some sort of holy fire to come from the heavens and smite him I, on I, thought McGee was, I thought mcgee was bringing up song of solomon again <laughs> <laughs> no i don't i think he was talking about um verdict talking about how god how god in fact sins which is just insane to me um but i think because someone else points out well, do you how how much? It's almost like a an um an author's license. What is it called? Like when a, uh, an author has some sort of poetic license mm-hmm. where they can take um, they can take liberties with. So how much do you give that to a preacher? And uh, as guys who preach, uh, give us as much liberty as the text give us. Uh, that's what I would say. And when we're wrong, graciously and humbly come and say we're wrong, and we'll happily repent um, i think i think at some so, point it would be interesting for us to talk about the law because i feel like you and i might just from some of the statements you've made today might have some different views on sort of how the law or whether the law applies at all today so we'll, we'll need to get into that one soon great so we have on the podcast an antinomian <laughs> not quite great Her- heresy abounds in our denomination again thanks Luke. no 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 i'm 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 the I'm the same thing as I am with Calvin. I'm an almost Calvinist who rejects the key point. I'm an almost Nominian who who rejects the key points as well. You you have you have we've had this conversation, man, about the law, the the three purposes of the law. Yeah, I it, I, I I agreed with all the purposes. Okay, then then what's your then what's your issue, man? The question is whether the purposes apply today. We'll have to get of into it. Apply today. Well, the, the, the no question, the purpose of, of revealing sin applies. Okay. Oh, that was the purpose of the law. Okay. Okay. Well, we're so you not. Don't think, you don't think that it can be used to restrain evil? You don't think that it can be used to restrain evil? Like a dog. You don't think that it can be used to restrain evil, Luke? What I'm not sure about, Eric, is whether the law continues to apply today or whether it's been fulfilled completely in Christ. We can well, talk. Yes, about it's been fulfilled completely in Christ. That's what the scriptures say. But it also I know in a sense. I think I'm right about this. It demonstrates for us what God finds pleasing to Him. I, I should know better than to do this with you. I said we'll get into this another time. Why do you? Why do you hate the law, man? I don't hate the law. The law reveals Christ. Amen. Question is whether it does anything else anymore. But we'll get into that. <laughs> I, have, I, 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 have, I have a good friend I don't take this this yeah, I'm not an antinomian but I, I have a good friend who uh, insists that the only reason that uh, murder and adultery are wrong are because the New Testament forbid it 
that that the Old Testament law does not apply. I have heard that before. That the I've heard people say that the only Old Testament laws that apply to the New Testament are those that are explicitly restated yep. in the New Testament. Yep, because the law has been fulfilled. And, and I get uh, okay. I, I I understand that. I understand the argument. I, I get that. Eric, we don't have to have the argument right now, man. Just let it go. What are we going to talk about on Thursday? Why don't we give a sneak peek to our listeners and viewers? Well, you're what are we, gonna, what are we you're going to have to do that. You're the one bringing in the guest. Oh, oh right. man, I totally forgot that we're going to have a very special guest on Thursday. <laughs> and I was just messing with you. Does he? Does our special so, guest know? Yeah, yeah, I talked to him. Okay. He, was hesitant. <laughs> he was hesitant at first because he thought that we'd give him too much of a hard time, I think. So – um, we so maybe we'll bring Tom in, maybe just for a short piece, because it's hard to when it's just you know um, for us to well, give each other a hard time. Tell them who Tom is, and tell and, and Tom, oh yeah yeah Tom don't uh, be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, so <laughs> so he goes by Tattoo Tommy. Um, he's Tom Logrie. He is the editor and founder and El Jefe, the head honcho of Advent Christian Voices. Uh, right now, he also produces our show in the sense like he downloads the video, strips the audio, and puts it on the Evan Christian Voices website and in iTunes. Mm-hmm. So we're having him on. Um, the reason I call him Tattoo Tommy is because he wrote an article in the Advent Christian Witness, which is a publication our denomination puts out. Um, it's a good publication. Uh, Luke, have you written for it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I don't read or write, remember? That's true. I'm surprised you can even spell. But uh, nevertheless, um, no, you, made, you made quite an assumption there that I can. <laughs> Fair enough. So he uh, wrote an article last year. Um, just pro- I think it was like the issue right before we had the AC Leaders Conference, the Evan Christian Leaders Conference in, in Waymark, Pennsylvania, which was a blast. If you didn't go, like, what's wrong with you, right? Full RC scroll, what's wrong with you people? It was phenomenal. So we went there, um, <clears throat> read the article. And dude, he gives a he articulates two positions. One, um, why Christians should not get tattoos, and then why Christians should get tattoos. So I've called him Tattooed Tommy because if you read the article, he he comes across as unfavorable against tattoos. And I remember having this conversation to him, and I was like, "Why do you hate tattoos?" And I just kind of like lifted up my arms and was like, "You know, what's wrong with tattoos, bud?" You know, and. Um, so we had a good conversation. It was kind of, he was, he was kind of the butt of the joke for, for the whole weekend or the whole week that we're, we're up there, but I'm um, took it in stride. He's a good guy. Um, he hates tattoos. So give him a hard time about that. Um, maybe I'll get a new tattoo by then. And he, you know, banish me to hell. <laughs> oh, you always have a way of closing these shows, Eric. Well, this pa- can I tell you, can I tell you, uh, some of the funny that happened this past Sunday? Go for it. So I tried closing the worship service on Sunday and like, I'm still trying to learn how to like, what are we even doing at this point? Right. So like we do our offering, you can give online or we have someone cause we do a drive-in worship service. So we have someone stand in a corner as everyone's leaving the parking lot and then you drop off their check or cash or, or envelope or whatever. So I say, Oh, you know, you stand by the corner and go do that. And I said, all right, everybody have a good week. And then like silence. And like, no, no one's moving. No one's doing anything. I'm like, uh, all right. That's all folks. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> from the Looney Tunes. 
<laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I was kind of like Ricky Bobby. Like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. Like, I just didn't know, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what. That is something we have in common in our upbringing. <laughs> I do know all those Will Ferrell references. Dude, I, I haven't watched a Will Ferrell movie in a long time. I think I need to. Oh, I'm not going to recommend that. <laughs> but uh, Why? What's, what's wrong with that one? Oh gosh, we'll have that same discussion the same day we talk about the purpose of the law. No, I'm, I don't remember what's wrong. Like, oh, have you not watched, have you not watched Talladega Nights recently? I have not recently. Now I'm probably ten okay, years. Don't ago. watch it with your children. Oh, I know not to watch it with my children. That's not, I mean, I'm not an idiot. Oh well, well you you read about uh, incest and adultery with your children, so I didn't know what else. Well, you that's in the Bible, you know. That, uh, uh, Ricky Bobby's not Jesus. Uh, <laughs> There is the prayer. Although I, I have, I know. So I've referenced Talladega Nights in a sermon before. So I talked about how, how many people think that Jesus is an eight pound, 16, whatever, you know, three ounce, seven ounce, sweet baby Jesus. Like he grew up. He grew you, up. Really don't, you really don't know any of the rules, do you? What rules? I will induct you into Christian culture. I referenced Tiger King this past Sunday. <laughs> All right, I, uh, hold on, hold on. Let me just recognize McGee always dropping the knowledge, mm-hmm. recognizing that Driscoll, and we're talking about Driscoll and his teaching, not his conduct, uh, not afraid to talk about sex in the same way that the Bible was. Fair enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna also dr- destroy this church. So there's that. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, he's got a new one now. He's doing all right. Repented. Trying again. You know. That's not for me to judge. So. <laughs> Should we call it there <laughs> before we get into it on Driscoll? Do not answer that question. I'm trying to end the podcast, dude. Come on. Wait, I'm trying to find out what's wrong with uh, talking about television and iTunes. We will talk about that next time, okay? We'll get into it. So you wouldn't reference Ricky Bobby in, in a sermon? Eric, end the stream. I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. I'm all <laughs> hopped up on Mountain Dew. Uh, I think we'll end it there. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday with Tattoo Talk.